We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, and today we're going to look ahead. We've finally made it to the All-Star break, and we have a, a challenge ahead of us. Lakers are two games back of the 10th seed. I think we're three and a half or four back of the sixth spot. And so lots to talk about with this new team. Mike, where would you like to go today? Well, Pete, uh, as you know, my favorite part of the early season situation is looking at the schedule and kind of breaking down the whole thing. And now uh, it is very truncated. Like, it's really easy. You can you can on one half of a web page, right, look at the whole Lakers schedule that remains. And the first thing I want to kind of kick towards you is the strength of schedule. Now, strength of schedule to me can be one of the more deceiving things uh, out there because it Agreed. doesn't take into account, you know, things like, key players being out uh, back to backs, like what part of the season that it's in all of the, all of just the NBA calendar things. Um, But nonetheless, the Lakers right now, it might surprise people since there's so much of the Western conference yet to be played. Um, The Lakers have the 25th hardest schedule um, right now. And and so they've already gotten a lot of their most difficult games done. Obviously a part of that is that they've gone to all of the difficult East teams already. The only East team that they have to go to on the road is Chicago. And they've also knocked out a lot of their difficult road games uh, in the Western Conference, though some certainly remain. The flip side to that is that, all right, well, the teams that are just ahead of of the Lakers. And so going up to the Clippers, the Wolves, the Pelicans, the Warriors um, and the Thunder. And I left I left Dallas out of that just because it it seems like they're sort of on the ascendancy. And then maybe the Clippers could be, too, um, based on how they played with their new group. Nonetheless, those teams are sort of scattered, Pete. So Clippers have the second toughest schedule left. The Wolves have the 12th mm. to have a schedule left. Warriors 16th right in the middle. And then New Orleans and OKC are with the Lakers, where New Orleans is 28th and OKC is 6th. So 
having now said that 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 could make a difference, it might not, depending on who plays whom and when in back-to-backs, I still think it's interesting. Uh, what are your takeaways from the remaining strength of schedule and it being relatively easy for the Lakers? I've been looking forward to this stretch for a minute, Mike. Uh, I was not expecting this to be the version of the team that would experience it, that would experience it. But one of the challenges of this season and one of the reasons why every day has been especially important important is that we're still formulating who we are and what we do and all of it to me was pointed to this stretch after the all-star break as the time where we could really shine. Like if we were going to be worth a damn mic, this was the time that we were going to show it for precisely that reason. Now that said, the, as you said, it's a, it can be a deceiving stat and we play a lot of teams that it's, they're pretty good, right? Like they're solid teams. Um, so I don't want to act like we're playing Houston, you know, 23 times the rest of the, the season, but these are winnable games, Mike. And one of the things that stands out to me about this stretch is a thing that a lot of Lakers have been saying in post game is we control our own destiny. A lot of games against teams that are ahead of us in the schedule. So that's one of the things I'm curious your thoughts on is just that, that one-on-one matchups. We got a lot of those. No doubt. And those is, I mentioned some of the teams that are most important here, but like if you think about just Golden State, the two games against Golden State and what the relative value to getting a win there versus winning at Chicago um, is yep. wholly different in where it matches up in the standings. And even like some of the Eastern teams that still come to the Lakers, there aren't many, um, but Orlando is in there. That's on the 19th. Toronto comes on the 10th and that might be it. Yeah, I think we have it. the Bulls coming, right? We don't have the Bulls. Well, yeah, the I don't Bulls, think we play them back yet. To back. Yeah. yeah, it's a gotcha. so they so it's a home and road. So they get the Bulls at home on the 26th, and then they go at Chicago on the 29th. And gotcha. other than that, oh, and, and I'm sorry, the Knicks as well. So the Knicks come into town, and so those are games that you know the Lakers. Those are none of those are Eastern powers uh, by any means, and I think that the all are very winnable games for the Lakers. But you would much rather take. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, you would much rather take not just the Golden State wins, but Oklahoma City and then Minnesota. And they play Minnesota twice. They play Oklahoma City twice and they play Golden State twice. And that's where mm. you really talk about your control, your own fate. And and Pete, the thing that so this new group, this new lineup, the players coming in, the, the three former Minnesota Timberwolves going next to LeBron and AD. That's exciting. I think we talked about that in the last pod. But what I want to kick back to you is for those types of games where it it's increasingly important in the standings. That's the type of game that I'd rather have LeBron um, and Anthony Davis for like the, that's the type of game where, cause those two specifically can always raise their level if they need to. Some of these teams like OKC, um, I would say I would put Minnesota in that camp. Golden state is a little bit closer to what the Lakers are, but without Steph, it's harder to take it up to that next notch. Like those teams mm-hmm. are sort of are what they are, I think. And and it, but I wanted you to check me on that. Like, if you think is that too is that too optimistic to think that um, you can get that additional level of focus and, and energy in the games that you need to from LeBron and AD? I, I don't think so. I think that this is the stretch, man, and it's been three years since we've had both of those guys going at the same time. And really, that's all of this is. I, it's. <laughs> Both LeBron and AD having foot issues, considering they're the foundation and that's the foundation of them, I think is it speaks to how tenuous all of this is, even with our optimism with the new squad and all of that. But if they're going to do it, this is the time to do it, Mike. Like we're we're out of runway. And if if it's going to work out, it's going to be because those guys are still the foundation. As excited as we are about all the new guys, like those guys got to be clicking for us to go where we want to go. 
So when you look at the schedule and you look at the, I, I like to pull up Tankathon also, and just to think about what what are some of the teams that aren't necessarily trying to win? What are they thinking and why? And so this is really, there are two teams that I think this affects mostly, and it's Utah first and then OKC second. OKC is the one that's a bit of a question mark. So just to break this down, you have in inverse order of worst teams in the league, right? You've got Houston, who's lost seven in a row. San Antonio, Pete, do you know how many games San Antonio has lost in a row right now? Is, is it up to 13 now? 14. 14 <laughs> now, four, my goodness. They've lost 14 <laughs> games in a row. So uh, Detroit is, uh, has won three of their last 10. Charlotte's won three of their last 10. Those are sort of the bottom four that nobody is catching, okay? They, they will be right. uh, in terms of record, and that gives them the top three. They, the top three get a 52% chance um, of the top four, and then number four gets a 48%. But the next group, and this is where it's interesting because so Orlando, they're playing better. They've won five of their last 10. Indiana has dropped um, despite getting Halliburton back. They're, they're still sort of playing a bunch of young guys. And that's when you get to Chicago and the Lakers. And Chicago has lost six games in a row uh, despite still having some vets, not necessarily mm-hmm. like playing any young guys. And my question to you, what is your read on Utah and OKC? And is it worth it to them? Because they they only are, they're about like two games up on those type teams. The Lakers, the Bulls, who conceivably want to win. The Bulls pick goes to Orlando, right? Like they're not they're not tanking because their right. pick is not their own. Um, and then Toronto, who wants to win. Portland, who's, I guess I could, I could put Portland to you also maybe, including Portland in that group. Um, and, and then Washington, who could probably go the other way. Where do you see Utah and OKC from an internal motivation point? Do they want to try to get up to that 30 plus percent chance to get into the top four? Or do they just say, screw it. Maybe we can get into the play in, you know, get our young guys uh, some experience and that whole thing. I think OKC goes for it, tries to go for a play in spot and Utah does not. And I think the rationale behind that is a lot of those OKC guys are intended to be there long term. And I think there's a great deal of value to get Giddy some run. Uh, SGA is a number one guy. You know, they've got several players that I think they intend on being around. And just that experience, I think, can have this effect going into the summer, too, for all of those guys of just having a taste of this is what it takes to win at a higher level than we've ever done before. I think for them, their years of doing what you're talking about is a bit behind them. Whereas Utah, I think they're ahead of them. They're a team that has overperformed uh, this season, but I don't think that they've lost sight of kind of what the main goal is. And their trade with us is an example of that. And so they still got a few guys that can play a bit, but they're a team, I think, that's in a similar spot of Chicago in terms of those guys on the floor. I don't think there's a great deal of like, rally around the flag we're playing for something big type of thing but mike i don't think there are yeah. too many teams around the league that fit that description utah and possibly chicago but like you said they're not doing it for a pick it's more the guys on the on the floor i think um yeah i i think that's it's going to be a really competitive close to the season because of that so zooming in a little bit then on okc and i'm i'm kind of i'm mostly with you i also think that sam Presti is is um does not want to be thought of as a, a uh, executive or have his team thought of as a team that just tanks every year and doesn't try to win. And I think right. that the ser- the seriousness with, with which they've approached this season is reflective of that. But last year, they basically shut Shea Gilgis Alexander down for the last couple of weeks of the season. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I'm, you know, I kind of need to see it before I really believe it. The sure. other part of that though, is as good as OKC, as well as OKC has played, they're young, they're small. 
And like if teams actually start playing a little bit more seriously against them, which would include the Lakers, I don't know that they can keep up the pace that they've kept up, which is one game under 500. And mm-hmm. the Lakers, Pete, they're at the end of a three-game trip. The Lakers come back, they get Golden State at home, and then they go at Dallas, at Memphis, at OKC. That's the first game. And then the second one against OKC is home on March 24th. They're one of the two teams in the West who the Lakers only go to their building once. And mm. which, you know, which is, I guess, an advantage in a sense. You get the in terms of tiebreaker and all that kind of capacity. So those are two teams, those are two games then that the Lakers kind of have to win. And if they do, yep. You're separated. Just take everything else out. You're separated by one loss in the loss column. If the Lakers take care of business and, you know, beating Oklahoma City twice, as good as Shea has been, is as hard as that team plays. It's just that, Pete, if you're putting that type of emphasis on Oklahoma City and you're going, you know, hey, LeBron, hey, AD, like, look, this, you know, hey, guys, this is mm-hmm. a game you got to win. Well, can you do that 23 times? Maybe not. So you got you got Houston in there a couple of times. I, it's just... I'm pushing back against my own theory some that you can just sort of expect the Lakers to bring the better energy every night, um, even though there are only 23 games left. But I do think that those OKC games end up being a little bit more pivotal if we're going along with the theory that you and I think they're actually trying to win. Um, And it's like it's hard to have that be like that and then also have them play Phoenix a certain way. Uh, once they get KD and the Clippers, right, who they have to still play um, in the let's see, that's April 5th. Like those kinds of kinds of games. Can you get the Lakers to get up in the same way for OKC? I think that the answer to that is going to be how good is the supporting cast, right? I think that's something that they're going to have to win us a few games here and there over the course of those 23. I do agree with your overriding point that the like playoff level intensity quite reaching that level on an every single night basis might not be entirely attainable. But that said, this is the the time to do it, you know, as as best as possible. But I really think that those surrounding guys, Mike, are going to have to contribute to that. So, yeah, it's a question for you, man, is like, how important is this new supporting cast to kind of buttressing the where we want to go? I think the early good news is that you get you get this level of cohesion with the Minnesota players. And I suppose I should stop calling that. It's just like that's that's representative of the reason that they're cohesive is that they played some high level basketball together. And what that has done now is it's put the Lakers that have played together some in a bench unit. And then ideally with either LeBron or AD anchoring that group. And, and that, that allows you to to basically, because LeBron and AD are so good that you can, if you're a good basketball player, you can find a certain level of cohesiveness and they're going to if they're if they're on their A game, those guys, as D'Angelo Russell said, don't have to do a ton relative to what you might have to do on a different team. So then what is it that that bench group can get done and how do you stagger LeBron uh, and AD Pete like with the, those types of groups And that? So that that's I'm going to kick that right back to you. Like, what's the what's the way to optimize that group? Um, do you want more LeBron, more AD or is it like 50 50? Let's take a break. Come back and talk about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I would love for either LeBron or AD to be on the floor at all times, but that hasn't really been our approach this season. And even with this new group, there have been minutes where both of those guys are off. And I, I see the rationale for for it in a, a global perspective in that like trying to get as many minutes for as many five-man groups as possible – Breaking that up into two allows you to do that a little bit, but it really comes down to the defensive end for me there. And Bamba, I think, is a really key figure in this, is in that, like, in the first half of the game, Willie Hernan Gomez, you know, really, really took it to him a bit, and he, he was in foul trouble. But then in the second half, that ability to raise a hand and just be disruptive with his length... That's one of the things that I see from that group, Mike, is if you look at the the backup uh, at our backups, you've got Dennis at the one, Austin at the two, Troy at the three, all three good defenders. Right. Like, I think the personality of our bench unit is more defensive in nature than maybe a more offensively tinged starting group. And so three good perimeter defenders with Rui at the four and Bamba at the five. Another part of this, too, which is true of both starters and the bench and i've been waiting for this all year is everybody is playing the position that they naturally play troy brown is at the three uh austin's at the two dennis at the one right Rui at the four he'd been playing some three for us there'd been so much time this year mike where a guy was just a little bit out of position and you know you put Messi as a midfielder he'll still be good i'm sure but if you have him as a striker that's what he does you know and uh i think that having that on the team uh having that on both the bench and the starting unit is going to have a positive effect as well but with that bench group mike i, I see us kind of trying to develop this like oh we're going to be able to defend with those groups and give the ball to a guy that's used to running a bench unit and dennis and have other skill players on the court too but i think that's kind of the identity that that's group group is going for which is probably good if you're not going to have LeBron and AD on the floor at the same time. All right. That's interesting. So you have the initial concern, I think with the starting lineup that we had talked about once you put, if it's Beasley and Russell is okay. Perimeter defense. But yeah. now that we've seen what we've seen from Vanderbilt in that first game, it's just, a, it kind of puts a nice little bandaid over the worry there. Yes, sir. Right. Yes. And then, so, okay. So, all right, well, cool. So starting lineup, but seems pretty good. Don't have to worry so much about that. Well, do you then do you stagger the groups a little bit to get either Vanderbilt's or AD more at least sometime with that second unit? Or do you feel comfortable enough with Bamba, Hachimura, and we mentioned the three sort of guards, although Troy, you know, Troy's kind of like a, a two three in a way, but yes. is, is fine mm-hmm. playing the three. 
So that's that's the only question back to you is that let's say that you're there's a certain matchup and it's a game where you kind of want to shorten the rotation. Then to me, the guy that comes out is either Hachimura or Bamba. And then it's just you're doubling up on some of the minutes with AD and with Vanderbilt, right? Yeah, I strongly agree with that. And I think that ultimately we'll see the rotation drop down to eight, maybe nine guys um, at you know, that's at least where I think it goes with one of those guys on the floor uh, and more of those minutes going to Vanderbilt and all of that. That's going to happen naturally, too, though, in terms of like the end of the first quarter is more um, AD time and the start of the second quarter is more LeBron time in terms of bench units. LeBron has been coming out at the six minute mark, being replaced by Troy Brown as the first substitution. And then in the last game, I think he came in around the one minute mark, 130 left in the first quarter. And so you do have this group where Vanderbilt comes in a couple minutes later and you got uh, AD and Vanderbilt on the floor at the same time. And so I think that's going to happen naturally in those groups that kind of blend from an AD bench group to a LeBron group. And so Darvin's choice is, do you want to connect that entirely? So it's always you've got LeBron and AD on the floor at the same time. Maybe not at first with the 10-man rotation, but what you're saying, if either Bamba or Rui go out of that, I think that's where you you can choose to do that. And plus, I think that the way the LeBron's minutes were not normal in that he only played 29 and they were going to try to get him to 30. So I was kind of wondering if you knew LeBron was going to play closer to his normal, which is, I guess, 35, 36, mm-hmm. then is he still the first guy out there? And if he is, then he's coming back earlier in the first quarter, you know, and and or starting the second quarter. So that would tweak the lineup some in that way also. Right. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I would love to see like if if he does come out at that six minute mark, whenever AD goes out, LeBron is coming back in as well, whether that's yeah. usually ADs around like the three minute mark or so. But that only gives LeBron three minutes of rest, which when he is playing his like normal 36 minutes, like we were going for it. That's generally the breaks that he gets. It'll be like a rest from the six minute mark to the three minute mark. Then he'll play that shift and then come out around, I want to say the seven minute mark of the second quarter and sit from the seven to four minute mark. So he's getting six minutes of rest each uh, half, which is 12 a game, gives you 36 minutes per game for, for LeBron. So yeah, I could definitely see us going that route. All right. Let me, I, I think that's some good context now. So the, in short, the schedule is like the Lakers can control it, even though they're down, right? They're down some in, in terms of games, the, the mm-hmm. level of competition, the, the additional number of home games. And let's see, just to, to double check on that. I think the Lakers have played three more home games than road games. I think it's 13 and 10 left. Tw- yeah. So they played 28 home games and 31 road games. So they've got three more games at home. Um, plus one is it? Yeah, plus one at the Clippers, which you know, no travel right. even if it's a road game. So all right, so so laid all that out like that. The Lakers can't use essentially like there isn't some massive trip, right? There isn't some inordinate number of back to backs, right? It's it's not. It's a controllable schedule, and they just have to sort of show up and and figure it out themselves. So within that context, Pete, I, I want to just get your thoughts on a couple of these new players that maybe some Laker fans have seen some, but not as much uh, as we have. And I want to start with Beasley because we the shooting doesn't need to be discussed that much. Uh, we've already talked about it. That's obvious. He's going to take a bunch of shots. He's going to make teams rotate. Um, his off the he can do a little bit off the bounce. Uh, he can you know not he's not great there, but it reminds me a little mm-hmm. bit of like KCP where yeah I was going to bring him up. Yes, you know like a couple like in KCP sometimes like he you think he's a quick shooter, but he'll get around his first guy and maybe he'll throw an alley oop or maybe he'll throw a nice little pocket pass or 
Um, and he can, he doesn't usually go all the way to the rim, but he's got a nice little pull up, you know, in the lane. So he's got some stuff there, but I'm more curious what you saw defensively from him. And if you have any, if your concerns about how that might look next to Russell are assuaged at all, um, based on what you've seen early. I think he's defended very professionally, as has Delo in the games that, that we've played. And so just being attentive. And I think there's a little bit of a we're in the first week of school and everybody's on their best behavior. If this is next season in a meaningless game in December, you know, maybe it looks a little bit differently. But I've been really impressed with his ability to help one pass away and recover with proper technique. So like when I say he defends professionally, that's an example. He had a play, I think, that illustrates on both ends of the floor kind of what you're talking about beyond the shooting in the last game where in the first quarter in that very first shift with the starters he helped on the ball handler and got back and he had his hands up in ball denial and got the deflection off of that and we advanced the ball up court AD hit LeBron streaking down the wing with this sweet bounce pass but they defended it well and so LeBron like kicked it back out to Beasley who had filled the left wing and now Beasley has the ball and AD comes up and sets a ball screen for him and because the defense hadn't been set because we pushed it in transition that's when Beasley got that lob opportunity to AD and had the nice one-headed throwdown which by the way AD's showing more and more of that above the rim athletic uh, type of stuff in the last couple of games, Mike, that it's going to be really important to be us being good. But that's an example, Mike, of like played good defense. He was in the proper stance, had his arm up in ball denial the way you're supposed to when you're recovering back to the shooter. The ball hits him on the back of the hand, get the deflection. Then it's kind of scrambled and he can attack out of that and is a threat to either make that floater or throw it up to AD, which, like you said, KCP would do all the time off of handoffs and things like that. So I think that KCP comparisons on the offensive end in particular is a very good one. I just want to see him defend professionally, and he has. Okay, so I want to get back to, I want to get a little bit more from you on Russell and Vanderbilt before we get out of here, uh, and maybe even Bamba, but let's zero in on AD for a second. AD, when he got hurt, there was a lot of internal concern about how that foot was going to possibly be able to make it through the season. And I have gotten like, I, I think I told you and Darius, like, let me get two weeks of him staying on the court every game, not complaining about the foot, not looking at it. And we got that. We got that. And I've asked mm-hmm. him about it a couple of times. And it's like, it's not even like he's icing his feet after the game. Like he usually does in his ankles, but it's not, it's not like specifically because his foot is inflamed. So that's great news that in, in other words, like I'm now feeling confident that he can get through the 23 games. That's great. Um, and then and then we'll see what happens in the offseason. So that's that's the first thing and sort of knock on wood for him in that sense. Now, you mentioned the pop in the burst. And I think the the best way to know if A.D. is feeling like himself is if he jumps like so he can block shots without jumping. But if he really goes up to get one and either pins it on the glass or that's that's oh, one. Yeah. And when he gets the lob. It's the same thing. Like he can finish a lob without jumping that high. But when he goes all the way up for it and then he comes down hard and he, in fact, hurts his finger on the rim because he, because he, oh, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) That's a, that's a very good sign. This, so you get AD going into the all star break feeling pretty healthy. You now, when you, when you come back, the schedule is pretty light in terms of like it's Thursday, then they don't play until Sunday, then they don't play until Tuesday. And that is the back, that is a, it is a back-to-back because it's like I was looking at the month and I'm like, wait, 28th or 1st? Oh, yeah, February. Okay. Um, so it's a it's a Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday at Memphis, at OKC, back-to-back. But nonetheless, there aren't that many back-to-backs after that. There's at New Orleans, at Houston, the 14th and 15th. 
And then I think there are, there's one more in April. Yeah, there's the 4th and the 5th in April. So the schedule is somewhat uh, played out or spread out. And he's going to have the chance, I think, to really get his legs under him in the way that it looked like it was starting to come back in that New Orleans game. So what what is your overall take now on AD and how he gets through uh, the stretch run here? I think we need AD to be a defensive monster more than anything. He's really amped up his uh, defensive rebounding, for example. He had 20 uh, in the Portland game and, you know, had a bunch against the Pelicans as well. And and so we've added all of this skill and all of these perimeter guys. And I think one of the questions about our perimeter defense and do we have enough, say, with the starting group is you always have Anthony Davis – if and when he's right physically, to help you solve whatever problems you have and wherever the problems are on the court. And so I'm curious to see, is there a version of our defense where we're showing higher with AD on ball screens and trapping and then asking Vanderbilt and LeBron to cover the the backside, which is a way better ask to be able to ask them to do that than asking Pat Bev or a guard next to LeBron to do that. You have a lot more personnel with that. And so that's really where I'm at with AD from that. That athletic standpoint is if he can reach that, Mike, he's one of those singular defenders that can allow you to get away with some things in terms of personnel on other places where you can emphasize the the offensive end. And then as I say that, right, like I was cracking up the other night, I was like, oh, AD was so good on defense in the Pelicans game. A cool 13 for 17 from the field, by the way, right, in that game. And so it's not just you're asking him to be Dwight Howard from the 2009 team or whatever. He's got that ability on both ends of the, fl- the floor that I- I'm so struck, Mike, that this team, like, Skill was, earlier in the year was a big problem for the team, and that I thought we were below a certain level of competency, for example, in jump shooting. With the way that the trade deadline went down, I would argue that skill is now like a foundational part of what the roster is. And you look around at the starters in particular, and it's like, man, everybody can shoot. Everybody can handle the ball a bit, of which AD, we can forget, is really right at the peak of making really difficult things look easy because of how skilled he is. And so just like, yeah, that stacking of skill on top of each other with AD as the defensive fulcrum, I really think that's that's the formula going forward. So just to underscore your point about AD and the rebounding, he's averaging 14 boards a, a game uh, in February. And his scoring is down a little bit mm. at 23 but it's not because of field goal attempts. In fact, his field goal attempts are up. Like he was averaging 17 shots a game in December before he got hurt and scoring 30 points on it because he was mm-hmm. getting to the line more twice as much um, as he has in February. And he was shooting. Well, at that point, he was unconscious, right? Like he was shooting 66% from the field. And that was insane. Now he's shooting 49%. And that's after having a couple of like, that's really because of that Golden State game, which was just insane. Sure. Draymond gets some credit doing the, his whole like push the lower body thing while being straight up with the <laughs> upper hand. Um, but like, so like that will come up. And I think his scoring is going to go up a little bit as a result as his efficiency does. But the last thing that I had for you, and, and this is along the lines of what you were just saying about the skill, specifically with Russell, I think when we were talking about or when the league was talking about, right, a possible could Kyrie Irving end up uh, in Los Angeles and just mm-hmm. starting to picture the way that a skill guard and Kyrie being probably at the top of that list of a skill guard. But Russell has a lot of skills, too. He, he's different from Kyrie. He's, he's not the same type of driver, um, for sure, even though he's a good finisher. He doesn't have that same burst off the dribble. 
but he's got some craft and he's got a lot of skill. And so that's, that's what I wanted to get to you on as somebody that's been kind of pining for a skill guard uh, next to LeBron and AD. Why? And again, you talk to me like I'm, you know, I'm a, one of your high school basketball players, right? <laughs> like really like what's, why did you specifically seek that out so much? And then how close to the optimal does Russell get to giving those two what, what is good for them in a basketball sense? You know, Darvin's been asked about kind of his lineup choices and how he's trying to make sense of all of these new guys. And one of the things that he mentioned about this lineup is we're seeking balance, which I think is a great word and idea to kind of base it around is that LeBron and AD are so forceful. And we've talked about their pressure around the rim that they can put, whether it's AD soaring for those alley-oops or LeBron's driving to the basket. And LeBron, both guys have a multiplicity of abilities that are where they can go inside and out. But I think that their fundamental their fundamental core is that we're really great around the basket. And so there's a complimentary a complementary nature to that that I think is necessary that a skill guard really fills. One thing that goes with the skill too, though, is feel, which is a little more it's a, it's a little more vaporous, right? And, and hard to describe, but it's basically what is your ability to read a situation and to go like, okay, they're doing this. So now if I go here or if I do that, I'm going to be open. And LeBron represents the pinnacle of understanding that sequence. He has always done great with guys who also understood that on the other side of things. Crusoe being a great example of like Crusoe would set a, a screen and he would slip out of it at the exact same time that LeBron makes the read to throw a bounce pass and you get an uncontested layup because both guys read the situation at the same time. Delo can do that as well, but can capitalize on it as a jump shooter too. So that takes just a lot of the pressure from the paint out. You know, it's it, you have to make a decision defensively in a way that I think just it complements what LeBron and AD do and AD do basically, Mike, in a way that's really important. It also com- complements what D'Lo does and maybe some of the deficiencies in his game. But I think just D'Lo's knowledge and understanding to go along with the skill of where to be and when and why um, is just it really fits it, it with with what LeBron and AD do. All right. Well, I think that's a good way to wrap it up, Pete. And, you know, we'll certainly be back, but I'm, it's kind of like the all-star break. Everybody needed a break, but it's also just after you see the Lakers play like they right. did, you almost <laughs> want them to play again the next day, you know, to yes. get to try and build on it. But in, so take out, take that out. What, even if that would have been the case, it's probably still better for the coaches to have a, like these several days. Okay. Look, mm-hmm. here's why this works so well. Let's build in a couple of extra actions. Hey, LeBron, what did you see? You know, when you, once they get back to practice, right? What did you see from D and these kind of sets and like, how much do you want him to have the ball? So they're, they still can use this time. Uh, and, and then, you know, really be fresh with, with really, t- really high energy. Um, once that golden state game starts on, I guess a week from, uh, well, yeah, just about a week from tonight. Not even. That's right. Yeah, a week from yesterday. And so yeah. the opportunities there, Mike, I think that sure. that's been laid out with the, we have the 25th hardest schedule in the league going forward and three more home games than we have on the road. We play a bunch of the teams that are ahead of us. It's there. It's there. We got a little sneak peek of what could be a good team. And so now it's our opportunity to take it. 
The work that we do this week, though, once everybody gets back, I think it's important to everybody get a clear head and get away. LeBron was talking about this. But once we do get back, the figuring out all of the little details, all of those conversations are really going to determine, I think, how successful this is. And so hopefully everybody gets a good rest and comes back ready to work and ready to figure out all those things because the opportunity is there. I can't wait for the rest of the season, Mike. All right, everybody have a good weekend. We will be back next week. And until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two, one. Miss it. Right. Unbelievable. Oh, the victory. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.